Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss moreover transcendental meditation and what the research suggests relative to its benefits. With me to discuss this topic is the director and senior investigator of the Center for National Medicine, Natural Medicine excuse me, and Prevention at the Maharishi University, Dr. Robert Schneider. Welcome, Robert. I'm genuinely appreciative for your time. Thank you, David. Pleasure to be here with you. Thank you again. First, as always, uh, allow me to provide some brief background. Transcendental Meditation, or TM, was first introduced in India in the 1950s by Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. For those old enough to recall, the Beatles traveled to India in 1968 to study with the Maharishi. TM is practiced twice a day for 20 minutes, is intended to, among other things, provide relaxation and reduce stress. It has since been taught over the years to millions of people around the world for a wide variety of purposes. To note just one, TM has been taught to military personnel, many of whom suffering from PTSD and the effects thereof. TM has been the subject of a large number of studies, that is, there is a substantial peer-reviewed literature on the topic. Again, with me to discuss the topic is Dr. Robert Schneider. Dr. Schneider's bio is, of course, posted on the podcast website, so I'll not read it here. With that, allow me uh, to begin. Uh, Dr. Schneider, this podcast was advertised in part as the mind-body-heart connection. Let's begin with my asking you, can you explain what that means? Yes, David. Over the past uh, 50 years or so, it's been shown that the brain is connected to the heart. The ancients have known this for thousands of years, but the physiological connections and influences of mental states and brain states on the heart and cardiovascular system have been well identified over the past uh, several decades. Uh, It's been shown that states of psychological stress activate the sympathetic nervous system uh, and also neuroendocrine systems like uh, the cortisol system, which connects the hypothalamus with the pituitary and the adrenal. So these stress hormone and and parts of the nervous system that release adrenaline and noradrenaline uh, raise heart rate, raise blood pressure, and actually damage the walls of the blood vessels and enhance the progression of hardening of the arteries or atherosclerosis. On the flip side, it's been shown that the parasympathetic nervous system, the other half of the autonomic nervous system, uh, is activated during states of rest and relaxation. And that has the opposite effect on the heart, blood pressure, and the vascular system. And that's associated with lower states of stress. So turn up the stress or turn down the psychological stress changes the state of the brain, and that directly affects the cardiovascular system. So that's what we're calling the mind-body-heart connection. And most of the research over the past decade has been on how that contributes to disease, high blood pressure, uh, heart disease, heart attack, and stroke. And then simultaneous with that, there's been a stream of research uh, on how that brain-heart connection could be used therapeutically. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll talk more about that today, too. Okay. Thank you. So that's very helpful. So in this context, what then is uh, transcend- transcendental meditation, or what, what role can TM play in influencing or improving these connections? Yes. Uh, 
this form of meditation called transcendental meditation is probably the most ancient practice originating in uh, the old or ancient Vedic tradition, as you pointed out. But it's been revived and rediscovered in modern times, practiced all over the world by 5 million people in 190 countries. Uh, And equally importantly, this type of meditation has been the subject of extensive scientific evaluation, uh, neurophysiological evaluation, physiological studies, and clinical studies. The way that it's taught, it's taught in a secular fashion. People don't have to change their lifestyle, their beliefs, their philosophy, their religion. It's a mechanical practice. And during this practice, people describe that their minds become more quiet. Their active thinking becomes more settled until they experience a quiet inner state. Uh, Mind is settled, but awake. And then uh, that has very unique uh, brain wave changes, the settled awake state or restful alertness. And physiologically, uh, the body's uh, going through a state of deep rest and relaxation. So it looks like this sympathetic nervous system that we've been talking about is actually turned down, turned off, or turned down during this practice. That's the stress part of the nervous system. And then this rest and relaxation part of the nervous system is turned on. Uh, The unique thing, though, it's not a state of rest. It's not a state of sleep, rather, or ordinary relaxation, because the brain wave changes or the EEG changes show this state of uh, orderliness or coherence, as they call it uh, in the neurology laboratories. Different parts of the brain, right and left, front and back, start showing patterns that are synchronous or similar. And this is mathematically defined and tested. And so it's called coherence or this unified brain state functioning, which is correlated with more orderly uh, thinking or people score better on tests of mental functioning, cognitive functioning, and healthier or lower on tests of psychological stress. So there's this brain change of um, relaxed wakefulness, low stress, high order, and physiological state of uh, deep rest and uh, self-activation of self-repair mechanisms, which directly affect balance in the cardiovascular system, blood pressure, and vascular disease. But before we get to the clinical outcomes, I think everyone should know that there are these very dramatic acute changes, which you can see in brain imaging studies, uh, in, in hormone studies, uh, and in the laboratory, which, which we think now are, are the basis of these long-term effects on affecting stress-related diseases like heart disease. Well, let me, before we go to the research, um, let me just stay on this question and ask, so that was very helpful, but relative to this state of restful relaxation that TM produces, could you try to be a bit more specific of how actually, um, how and why does this actually happen? Now, the person who's meditating, they're, they're preferably seated, their eyes are closed, they use a, um, uh, um, they use a, a word, a mantra, um, uh, to help um, uh, the specific uh, mantra meditation to help um, they tell them actually meditate. But again, how and why um, does this produce this again 
state of restful relaxation. Right. Um, and they actually call it restful alertness because uh, you're resting and relaxed uh, at the same time. Your mind is wide awake. And that's different from the ordinary states of consciousness. Uh, ordinary states, waking, dreaming, and sleeping. In waking state, we're alert but not resting. In deep sleep, we're not alert and but we're resting. And in dreaming state, there's an altered state of uh, mental awareness, and physiologically, it's somewhere in the middle. But this state, uh, again, physiologically depressed, but uh, mentally awake. You, you know, you, but you're not thinking. You're just there, wide awake, on this sort of settled wakefulness. Now, how you get to that state is very interesting uh, because it does not involve the practices that are normally used or commonly used in other meditation procedures. Uh, cognitive scientists have reviewed the literature on different meditation techniques, and Travis and Shear have published a review on this topic and have divided the different meditations into three categories. One category is concentration, or focus attention methods. That's where you're focusing on a mantra, a sound, your breath, a visual stimulus, uh, but that you're holding your awareness, and that's effortful. And that effortful kind of practice is high on what they call cognitive control or work. And that has one kind of brain pattern called, uh, it's actually gamma range in the EEG. Second kind of meditation is more observing. You're sitting and watching your thoughts, observing your thoughts, observing your breath, observing the sounds around you, observing your environment. This is quite popular now, and more in the mindfulness meditation category. Uh, some from the Buddhist tradition use this practice. That has a different uh, EEG pattern of uh, theta waves. Now, to get to what uh, this transcending form of meditation is, we have to know what the others are. So it's not the first one, it's not concentration. It's not the second one. It's not observing. It's not being mindful. It's not being particularly focusing on being aware or monitoring. It's actually an, uh, an automatic technique. Actually, the scientists call it automatic self-transcending. It's automatic because the practitioners say that they don't have to do anything. They sit down, close their eyes, start the practice. They use a sound or mental vehicle, and the technique... Uh, which they're taught in one-to-one -one instruction by the teacher of how to use that sound vehicle, which is equally important. And then they kind of let go, and then the rest happens automatically. It seems to be an inherent reflex that the body has, like falling asleep. It's kind of reflexive. It's automatic. It's built in. Likewise, the body seems to have this ability to settle down to quiet inner states, uh, when you set the right initial conditions. And that's what happens in this technique. And when you look at the brains of these people practicing this automatic self-transcending technique, you get different brainwave patterns, this alpha and coherent structure. Uh, and then these different brainwave patterns are actually associated with different physiological and different clinical outcomes. So it's this other state of consciousness that then produces these benefits. So let's right. go to that then. 
Right. So you're, you've done substantial amount of research, as noted in your bio on this, and there's been research by others. I noted there's a pronounced um, amount of peer-reviewed literature uh, regarding the therapeutic applications of TM. So let's, let's then discuss those. Uh, maybe start with um, your research as it relates to uh, cardiovascular or, or, or preventing cardiovascular disease, uh, heart and stroke as well. Right. Because of the large scientific literature showing the brain-heart connection causing high blood pressure, uh, my colleagues and I started almost 30 years ago to look at the effects of meditation and other stress reduction behavioral methods on hypertension. My background is in, in hypertension and preventive cardiology. The first uh, randomized controlled trial was done uh, in the late 1980s, published in the American Heart Association's journal called Hypertension. And there, we and our collaborators in West Oakland, California, uh, showed that uh, we, we studied three groups, conventional education, like lose weight, avoid salt, get more exercise, uh, versus uh, relaxation, progressive muscle relaxation versus this restful alertness experience during TM, uh, that there was a differential blood pressure effect. The standard education group didn't change, and most doctors find most of their patients don't change very much after they give them that standard advice. We found that too. The relaxation group had a small, although significant, reduction in their blood pressure. And then the restful alertness group the meditation group had about twice as great a change as the relaxation group. That was the first trial. Subsequently, there have been 10 others. So there have been a total of 11 published in the peer-reviewed literature, randomized controlled trials. Many of them uh, were sponsored by the National Institutes of Health. Uh, we and our collaborators have done some. Others were done uh, by other uh, teams. And that whole literature was recently subjected to a meta-analysis, uh, systematic review of all the published literature. And that meta-analysis, actually there were two of those uh, independent uh, reviews of the published literature, were in turn reviewed by the American Heart Association. Because in June, the American Heart Association published its first ever scientific statement on alternative methods to lower blood pressure. And in that groundbreaking statement, they reported on different non-drug methods uh, to lower blood pressure, relaxation, meditation, stress reduction, exercise. And in the mind-body category, in the relaxation, stress reduction category, they reported that transcendental meditation was effective in lowering blood pressure based on those 11 randomized controlled trials done over 25 years. And furthermore, when um, they looked at other meditation and relaxation practices, uh, those practices did not either had negative data or insufficient data to warrant their recommendation. So based on existing published studies, only uh, this form of meditation has sufficient data to warrant the American Heart Association recommendation for consideration in patients who have high blood pressure. Mm -hmm. So that was big news, and I'm actually going around the country and going around the world talking about that with doctors and medical schools and medical students uh, 
everywhere who want to know what they can offer their patients uh, beyond drugs to lower their blood pressure, uh, natural methods. Um, just let me ask, while well, we have a, a minute or two, beyond the CVD, cardiovascular disease, and hypertension, and I did mention uh, the use of TM for um, polytrauma, PTSD. What other applications have you seen it used effectively for? All right. Uh, other stress disorders, anxiety states, of which post-traumatic stress disorder is one, uh, depression, insomnia, um, drug abuse, uh, the um, stress-related behaviors, uh, health behaviors, as well as mental and physical states. In the, there's some evidence on weight, prevention of diabetes, in the cardiovascular area, I, beyond blood pressure, I should mention to your listening audience, we did. It took us 10 years to do this, and cost the U.S. government five million dollars. So I have to tell your listeners that the American Heart Association also published just last year the results of a 10-year randomized controlled trial on meditation versus health education, conventional education, in coronary heart disease patients who have very high risk of recurrent. MI, stroke, or death, not recurrent death, just death. And uh, in this randomized trial, uh, we found that there was a 48% reduction in the rate of death, uh, heart attack, and stroke compared to the control group. All subjects continuing usual medications and surgical interventions. And this study was for African Americans, correct? This was in African Americans. The mortality findings were replicated in Caucasian Americans. Uh, we don't think it's, it's race-specific uh, based on other mm -hmm. data, but yes, this was in a high-risk group, this particular study. So the idea of reducing almost half the rates of death, heart attack, and stroke uh, was big news, and that went around the world. And they also had lower blood pressure, so all the blood pressure findings that I showed you uh, uh, correlated uh, were associated with uh, these improvements. They also had lower psychological stress. Other studies have shown lower hospitalizations, I should say, for cancer, neurologic disease, and psychiatric diseases. So that's another interesting avenue through psychoneuroimmune effects as well as psychoneuroendocrine effects. So both primary and secondary prevention. Right. Exactly. We, we do have time for uh, one uh, uh, follow, or following question, and that is, and I have to ask this, of course, um, you know, they're, they're, if you look at how much money Americans spend, at least, on alternative therapies, you wouldn't think this, but, you know, there is, of course, this sort of, um, prejudice uh, towards um, um, sort of alternative complementary medicine, particularly um, interventions that are, um, you know, don't originate, say, for example, in the U.S., so what's, what's been your experience regarding TM's acceptance uh, by the medical, medical community? A big change over the 30 years that I've been uh, investigating this field. And, uh, you know, we've been sponsored by the NIH for 25 years now and Department of Defense now to look into methods that would be useful. And finally, um, it's, there's greater adoption in the medical field, although the public has been using these methods for many years, way ahead of their doctors in some ways. But doctors are catching on. I think this landmark 
publication of the American Heart Association is the most graphic example about how cardiologists and, and uh, internal medicine physicians are really saying, look, our patients, a lot of them don't want to take drugs and a lot of them would rather heal themselves than depend on external medications. And uh, here's something based on hard data that we can offer to them. And so this is a real change in medicine. And when I go around talking to medical students and medical faculty and schools of public health around the world, people are very excited that uh, finally there's something with some scientific validity that we can offer to our patients in this uh, mind-body arena, this uh, non-pharmacologic arena for self-healing. Great, great. Thank you. So we're sadly already at our time boundary. So with that, uh, Dr. Schneider, I'll, I'll say thank you again for your time and generosity in, in talking about the subject. Um, maybe sometime down the future, down the road or in the future we can revisit this and see what further progress has been made. Sure. Uh, uh, it's been a pleasure, David. Thank you. Thank you again.